You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Uh, this is episode four of Sagas and Sass. Um, right now, I, I, we, we were supposed to cover, this episode covers, uh, it's going to cover the entirety of Siege and Storm by Lee Bardugo. Um, we were originally going to do this episode last week, but uh, due to the election and just busyness in you know, some of our lives, we ended up doing an episode uh, called What Makes a Saga. So if you're following us and haven't listened to that yet, um, it was myself, Nick, and Jonathan. And then we had a couple guests on uh, Shelby and uh, Thomas. Um, so it was, it was actually a really fun discussion. And I'm hoping to do, you know, a few more episodes kind of along that same vein in the future. Um, if you're watching this as a webcast, I apologize for my shiny face and makeup. I have been Steven universing it up today. So you're just be happy. I removed the pearl from my forehead. Um, I tried to, as you probably tell, I tried to like wipe some of the makeup off and then I just gave up halfway through. So I'm like more colorful. <laughs> That's how much I care about how I look right now. Um, so anyway, yes, yeah, so tonight we're covering all of siege and storm. Um, again, my name is Tara. I am, uh, I, I'm one of the hosts, but, um, I guess I'm the person who kind of came up with the idea for this. You can find me across the web at a geek saga um and then you guys just want to real quick reintroduce yourselves and we'll jump right in sure i'll jump in nick popio uh you can find me most places at nick popio um that's me <laughs> listen to other episodes if you want the spiel <laughs> jonathan egan just a genre fan for for my whole life <laughs> uh hi I'm Nami. You can find me most places at Necronami Cosplay. Uh, theoretically, next week I will be in cosplay, so uh, that's going to be wild. Uh, that's super exciting. Uh, I had more insightful things to say, but I lost them. <laughs> We're doing great. We're yeah, I just I just heard a really time. weird noise, and I'm just like, no, I heard uh, that too. It sounded like an owl, and I, I was. Yeah, I don't know if that was on your end. I, I don't know. No, I heard it. I thought I heard it from outside my headphones, and it's storming really bad here. So I'm just like, what is going on? Um, all right. So uh, we had had, we, we'd actually had started like a document with some discussion points and everything, um, you know, well over a week ago. Uh, but I'm going to go through these in the order they are listed in the document because um, I kind of tried to put them in this order for. A specific reason. Um, but the first question, uh, th this is something that uh, Jonathan presented, I believe, correct? Yes, it is. Um, wanting to know if uh, Alina, aka Princess Buttercup, will eventually choose uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts um, I'm a, or Wesley, um, aka Mal, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, as no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Uh, that would be Nikolai. Oh, Dread Nikolai, Pirate Roberts Nikolai. would be Nikolai. Dread Pirate, oh, Dread Pirate Roberts is Nikolai. Is Wesley also Nikolai or is Mom so, Nikolai? No, no. So, 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 so as I, I, I did, I saw it as they split the two characters of the of Wesley and the Dread Pirate Roberts. So you have 
Nikolai yeah. the Dread Pirate Roberts or Wesley, which would be Mal. Okay, okay. Well, I know um, who and, I would choose. And then, uh, <laughs> or, or um, will she succumb to the power of, of Prince Humperdinck, a.k.a. the Darkling? Um, I, and Nick, I mean, honestly, you say you know who you would choose, and I'm literally up here like Nikolai. Nikolai, Nikolai, obviously. Yeah, not because obviously. he's a, not, not because he does turn out to be a prince, but, like, I mean, that's icing on Nikolai. the cake, right? Like, yeah. he's also just easily the best character. I mean, also, but like, here's here's my uh, less less than uh, popular opinion. I'm gonna guess I pick Strumhound. I, I pick Strumhound. Well, I mean, and that's oh, that's like, the thing, though. Like, I, I think we're kind of assuming that they're one and the same. You no, know? that's the thing. I don't pick Nikolai because, uh, let's be fair. You I love him as character. He's objectively my favorite character in like media stuff, but I don't pick Nikolai because he is a politician. Hmm. And you want the pirate. The whole, whole character as Nikolai just being like, hey, look, I'm manipulating y'all. Uh, you know I'm using you for this, right? But I'm joking and funny and we're also bros. Uh, I do have morals <laughs> though because I hesitate for three seconds because I think about the fact that I don't know if I would sacrifice you for the good of my morals, but I think about it so I am better than the Darkling, which she is, obviously, like, straight up, definitely better than the Darkling. Still a politician. So that's my thing with Nikolai. Mm. I like I like straight up Strumhan back when, before he had, you know, to deal with all of his politics. I prefer that one mask. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I love me my little pirate boy. I mean, who doesn't love pirates? <laughs> he can always dress up like a pirate for you. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. Give me, give me Stromhand with Nikolai's face, and we set. Well, yeah. Mm. What does what does uh, Alina call him? The too clever fox when he's dressed up. Like... The too clever fox. Yeah. He's got oh my god! Guys, on. Also, speaking of the too clever fox, have you guys read the short stories that Lee no. wrote? So, so she has a book called Language of Thorns, where she basically writes all of these oh, yeah, stories and folk tales that are like you know from the world of Grishaverse. And one of the actual stories that she writes is the story that Alina references, the story of the two clever fox. And basically, the story boils down to fox knows everybody's business and is like, "What up? I'm tricking you. I'm t- I'm clever as shit." I'm going to trick you. And then Fox gets tricked and he's like, oh shit, I got tricked. And then Fox's friend is like, it's all right, bro. You're still clever. And Fox is like, yeah, I guess. But but like, I got tricked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, uh, Language of Thorns is one of the, is one of the ones I definitely am planning on, on forcing you guys to read um, when we're done with like the main books because we're going to probably have to stretch the series out. A, I mean, we are going to have to stretch the series out a little bit to make it last through the end of April. Um, well, or really to make it last through uh, when the next Nikolai book comes out, because that's not coming out till March 31st. Yeah. Uh, 
so also like this book super made me just want to generally actually read my copy of lives of saints which is here and for reference tara it is not upside down that is definitely i still have mine here the the upside down version mine mine opens the correct way (laughs) yeah i actually like that it's upside down though like i i still need to actually write a review of it but i've been kind of like well we talked about it in the first episode of this upcast so i can at least say i did something with it but also like i i just like i the fact that it's upside down, like I'm not, that's not something I'm allowed to say in a, like when I'm reviewing a, uh, when they send you like a, like a, like a, like a pre, mm-hmm. like, what do they call There's a name for it. Um, an arc, an arc, an ARC, advanced reader's copy. You're not supposed to talk about grammar issues, like grammar things, spelling things, like, cause those things will presumably not like really ever, but presumably be fixed. But yeah, the fact that it's completely upside down is kind of, you know. That, that's a printing error. That's a full-on printing error. I like it though. I like it. This is my special copy. Nobody, nobody talks shit about my special copy. Yeah. Well, honestly, um, the thing that I like so much about the book is that it looks how it's described to look in the actual series. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, like Alina describes the apparat giving her the book, and she's like, "Yeah, the red leather cover with the golden lettering." That, like she had in season she was a child and I'm just like I have it <laughs> um well for that cursed noise. <laughs> so 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 Alina so um Nami would choose Sturmhund. I would choose I would choose Nikolai as a whole. Uh Nick would also apparently choose Nikolai as a whole. Somehow that doesn't surprise me that we're on the same page. Or Jonathan, what would you do though? I, I also would pick Nikolai, but I suspect that it's gonna be Mal at the end. <laughs> Uh, Not knowing anything. No. Don't boo Mel. I love Mel. I just really? suspect He's that so that's lame. how this is going to end. Yeah. It's terrible. I personally. Maybe he gets better in the third book. I don't know. I wouldn't choose Mal because Mal is a literal child. He's what? He's 17 years old. He baby. So I wouldn't choose Mal because he baby. And I, I, more, I wish to adopt him and protect him from the haters. But, like, let's be fair. Nikolai dumbass like I love Nikolai but like like full-on like you do have to admit that like when you like straight up think of his treatment of Alina and Mal he's like not great he's he's not and maybe this is maybe this is like a like a remnant of like yeah but and, and and to be honest maybe this is a remnant of like my past relationships but I've act like I've absolutely dated and one of them was not that long ago, dudes who were like politicians in life. Like, yeah. like, and I was just, I was literally just a, this is the pretty thing that I can present to people. She's smart. She looked, she makes me look good. Like you don't actually love the person for who they are. You just want to be like, look at this thing that I can show everybody. Like I have been that thing to dudes more than once in my I adult life. I am. So like so, I could it could be a remnant of like just I'm just used to being yeah. Let me put it this way: remove the politician from Nikolai, and I adore him. I adore his character for what he's presented as. I especially love him because literally his whole character is like, and I'm not sure if everybody else read this the same way, but he's like kid with ADHD just trying to make do. Like, everything that they, like, describe about him, like, him sort of, like, never being able to sit still, always needing to do something, never being a master of anything, but sort of 
learning and doing everything, becoming fully absorbed in certain tasks mm -hmm. where he's hanging out with a material key and he's making this stuff instead of just like, you know, suggesting these ideas, like his level of involvement and in every single thing he does, like his hyper fixations, stuff like that. Like it really, like it really hit me like this kid has ADHD and I keep saying kid, but like what he's like 20, 21, somewhere around yeah. there. She's not much younger than you, Naomi. Yeah, no, I'm not a kid. Well, I mean, she's my little sister's age, which makes me once again scream kid. But, you know, he's like, he's like solidly like, you know, ADHD, like to a T. But I think, you know, the words that Alina says to him when she's like, you wear these masks, like, so easily and i don't know who the real you is it's creepy and he's like offended and hurt like i like that nikolai that like shows his feelings but that nikolai appears so rarely because he's so busy doing what he needs to do that i can't consider him as a person that i would choose romantically because he's so busy putting on these masks and until you can know who a person truly is you can't pick them because well, yeah that's just like me i'm like yeah. definitely overanalyzing this <laughs> but was, was it was it adhd or was he just an intellectually curious person who in a role that's not I, perceived I think, to be someone who i think it's in, in a, in a life that isn't, I, that isn't uh well let me finish please oh, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, in sorry. a role that the perception is you don't have to be intellectually curious. You're the prince. You're supposed to do these things. You're supposed to look good at court. We have experts who do this. It's not your thing to learn. So, so I just thought it was, you know, so I his parents were not exactly intellectual geniuses. His brother was a, wasn't interested, and I thought he was. That's how I interpret it. Well, I definitely do see that, but I also interpret characters like Paja, as more just straight up intelligent, in, intellectually curious versus Nikolai. Like to be intellectually curious, you don't also typically have that jumping between everything sort of energy. And I, the thing that I specifically reference to when I'm talking about the ADHD is when he talks about when he was a kid, he couldn't sit still. And okay. Peter's never knew what to do with him. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I said. And then specifically later, he says a line later about not being a master of anything. And he does jump from thing to thing, which yeah. trust me, is somebody. Yeah, and that really struck me uh, as like ADHD traits. And, you know, speaking of other intellectuals in the story, it's interesting because you don't really have any straight up intellectuals. You tech, you have like neurodivergent intellectuals like take David. He is obviously definitely somewhere on the spectrum and I love him to pieces. And, but like, you don't really see a straight up, like full on intellectual person. And I'm just like, give me that too. I like to Im imagine that the other um, fabricator, that the other um, material key that like Alina pulls on her like little council is, you know, that she's just intellectual, but it's weird to imagine that all the material key are nerds, but I do quietly. <laughs> Let's be real, I would be a material key. Absolutely, without fail. Yeah, you would. You would. <laughs> um, In a corner with David. <laughs> so okay, so I mean, well, now we we all know what we would choose. Um, I mean, like, and and like, Jonathan, I I think like, 
I, 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 you don't, you don't know who she's going to end up with, but let's be real. This is a YA series. Like you also kind of deep down know who she's going to end up with. Um, I mean, I know this isn't my first read, but I will say that when I was first reading this, I did suspect Mal because every single book starts and ends with the boy and the girl. And it just seemed very poetic to have it not the hun- with the boy. Not the Hunger Games. But but no, she's talking about every single book in this series, but oh, I don't no, no, I don't no, I don't, no, I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil anything um for anybody who hasn't read past this. So like we'll stop right there and say like like I will just say that that there's there are there are definitely some big ass plot twists that happen uh after after this book. Ooh, uh, in in and after this book. Uh, so I know that John and Nick have been reading ahead, but at your ending in Siege and Storm, like where you ended after book two, who did you think she was going to end up with? After book two, Nikolai. Nikolai? All right. All right. right. But just, but long-term, it just seems like that's not going to happen in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What about you, Nick? What'd you think? Honestly, I I was not focused on that aspect at the end of book two. Um, Bit worried about uh, other other problems. Yeah, there were some other things on my head, uh, on my brain, that I was like, "Hmm, how are we going to get out of this situation?" Uh, you know, like the good old traumatized yourself until your hair went white situation. Yeah. Valid. Yeah. Valid. Um. All right, so moving on to uh, the next question, and this is again kind of going back to Alina's like relationship things, and I know Nami has a lot of thoughts on this. One of the one <laughs> I, I, I have been um, reading through the, each of these books, at least the copies that I have, has a Q and A at the end. I've I've kind of reserved some things that I've some questions that have been asked for after the third book and. This one was, but this one was one that was very specifically from Siege and Storm, I believe, where uh, somebody, one of the editors, I think, was asking the author, um, you know, like, oh, do do you think that the Darkling and Mal bring out both, each of them brings out the best and the worst in, like, different parts of Alina, and and Lee actually agreed that, yeah, like, like they, they, they each bring out different good and bad parts of her and i i i'm wondering if you guys think that's the case i mean obviously the author said that that yes it is so in a way i understand where lee bardugo is coming from but at the same time like i i don't know when these questions were asked of her you know what i mean like because i i the books I had from three, four years ago when I first read them, my cousin borrowed them and never returned them. So, like, these are new copies. So, like, I don't know if my non-Netflix stamped books had these uh, interviews at the end of them and whether, you know, the author really ever or really thought. Because I, 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 I get where she's coming well, I think- from, but... I, okay, so here is where I stand with it. I think it is incredibly unfair to measure these two characters in relation to Elena by that same standard because Kate first first point first of all of any relationship ever when you interact with a person that person brings out different aspects of your personality good or bad 
period space and that's it that's like duh that's how human interaction works with other people and that's what being a person is however i think framing it like oh does do the darkling and mal both bring out different good and bad aspects of alina is a bit of a weird way to ask that question because of course they do but you're sort of framing it that like mal brings out equally bad characteristics in her that the darkling does we're like no the darkling brings out fear and like repression and like slavery and like literal worry for her existence where mal brings out you know self-doubt over her powers and granted that's also not good. That's decidedly bad because her powers are part of her, but it's not literal worry about her existence and the fear that she's going to end up as a pawn and in slavery and enslaved to evil and be part of the subjugation of a world and murder billions of people. Like, like it's a false equivalence. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, obviously Mal doesn't bring out good things in her all the time. Like, Mal's not perfect. He's, not only is he not perfect, he is a teenager and teenagers are notoriously idiotic when it comes to relationships and they are also teenagers in the middle of a war like obviously like he's gonna bring out bad things in her but the bad things he brings out in her jealousy the bad things the darkling brings out in her murder <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not yeah. the same scale <laughs> yeah i'm just well, like <laughs> and I also one has like, led to the other like I, I I get that like the the like the darkling does bring out um like her she has like empathy for him I believe I I I don't want to say it's straight up sympathy I think it's empathy because she understands in a way not not totally obviously because she hasn't lived forever and everything but like she understands in a way like what he's dealing with and going through but all that said like. I feel like to say that he brings out good in her is highly suspect because a lot of the things that a lot of the things that he brings out in her are just signs of an abusive relationship. Like, yeah. of course, when you care about a person, you can always see that there's there's some sort of like forgivable thing in them there's some sort of good in them etc cetera, etc cetera. like I, and i i think to say that he brings out good in her like him alone because she's clearly like a like a sympathetic slash empathetic person anyway like she feels for other people constantly the one thing i will say is that the only thing that he sort of brings out that is good in her is her like acceptance of her abilities whereas mal is sort is scared of them and you know that's the only thing that i would say objectively that the darkling does that is good but even when he's doing that which is good he's literally doing it to turn her against mal and to turn her against her current allies by telling her that they're just gonna fear her for her abilities and he's the only one that will love her for her abilities so like it's difficult for me to even say that he brings out anything good in her because anything good he tries to bring out in her or that he presents to her, he's only presenting to her as a further way to manipulate her. So like, I can't like, con like consciously call it good because what he's doing is manipulating. And just because you're 
saying something good to a person to manipulate them, them doesn't mean it's not manipulation. Like, like full on, he's like, hey, your friend's going to hate you because you're powerful. You should love your powers. I'll love your powers. Well, it wasn't just loving her powers. I thought it, I thought the Darkling brought out her confidence more. I mean, she was very, she wasn't very confident in herself prior at the beginning of the story. And she's become more confident. She's still uncertain, but at least she's, she's seems more self-assured than she was at the beginning of the story. I don't know. She's always like read to me as full of doubt and like just Loki, everything she does, she's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that really hasn't in my mind overall hasn't changed from book one, just because like, you know, she's doing things more decisively. But just because you're doing them decisively doesn't mean you're less or you're like more certain. And like in her head, she's literally just constantly screaming, what am I doing? Just that noise. I'm so sorry also for all the bad things that I'm making because I'm sure that somebody's just like, also you three are just like happily listening and then suddenly I make a screeching noise and you're just like, um, <laughs> we'll plug my ears. Nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're we all- We appreciate your mouth noises. Yeah, so so we're all in agreement at the very least that the idea that the Darkling brings because I I do agree that Mal brings out good like bad things in her, um, but like I are we all in agreement that like there's some things that you could kind of tag as like oh yeah like the Darkling brings out this good thing in her but it's not it's still kind of it's all just kind of poisoned I guess. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It doesn't it doesn't count as good unless it's like truly good. And with the darkling, everything is just undercut by that like, hey, take it over the world, kill it all these people, manipulating you to do it. That was a great song. Love that. That song. was a good song. Thank we you. We need to record that track. I am yeah. um, a pop singer. Yeah. <laughs> I, we all agree. You're already YouTube famous. So. <laughs> God. <laughs> YouTube did not need that. <laughs> Sorry, YouTube. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you count if you count the musical getting, what, 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 I don't know, a couple hundred thousand views, YouTube famous. Oh, that's a good point. Stab. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's, like, that's what Nami's famous for. She's stabbing the air in the wrong direction in this Hamilton Game of Thrones mashup. Um, all right, so Jonathan, did you have any any other thoughts on this before we move on to your next question? No, no, my my total silliness of the next question, but sure. Because honestly, like I I, I totally forgot. Like last week, I had this whole plan to look this up, and then I was like, oh well, I have a whole other week to look this up. <laughs> But there's been a lot going on in the world <laughs> in the past week, in case we're all not aware. And you didn't ask um, Dean. Uh, I, you know what? Like, I, I feel like I started to, and then there, there's, uh, to be honest, there's been a lot going on with him too. So, um, which is not pub, not, not for public consumption. Good, like the like good stuff, but also like you know. Um, so. Uh, uh, you're going to have to explain the need to compare and contrast the decisions and motivations uh, that led to Vasily's betrayal 
of uh, his family. And I, now, let's be real. I don't think Vasily did this on purpose. Well, I think he's just well, a that, that that becomes the question. Right. But did I, he do it on purpose or was he just a total schmo? I, I, well, I, I think it's, I think it was partly he was trying to show up Nikolai because Nikolai was clearly, like, he was clearly jealous of Nikolai and how smart he was and well-liked he was and stuff like that. And he felt like he was being kind of shunted to the side. But, oh, I'm still, I'm still the prince, you know, like I'm still the, the, the person who's going to inherit this throne. I need to go do that. Like some of it was definitely like a power struggle between the, like, it was definitely, it definitely became a thing because of the power struggle between the two of them. Um, you know, and, and, but I, I really, the whole, I don't think Vasily, there was never any malice on his part in terms of like actually betraying them to the Darkling. He was just that stupid. So like, but I'm curious because you, you specifically wanted to compare it to Baltar in the original 78 Battlestar Galactica, which I just like, I'm sorry. I watched like three episodes of that show and gave up. So, so, so going back to, going back to your first point about whether he was stupid or not versus whether he actually was a little bit more sophisticated and he had, hoped that by having being involved in this betrayal he would inherit the throne uh, you know maybe under the darklings purview but he'd he'd be on the throne and get all you know faster and not have to risk losing it to nikolai versus in the original battlestar galactica count baltar was this senator who decided to betray the human race to the cylons because he thought once the silence conquered, he would be in charge. So, but the setup was so similar in that they're at a celebration of this peace treaty versus the celebration of this other peace treaty when it is realized that everything is totally vulnerable now and at the last minute they realize it, but it's too late and they're being annihilated. So that just, it, as I read through that, I'm like, oh my God, this is right out of Battlestar Galactica 1978, the <laughs> opening sequence, basically, of the show. And then a little bit later on, Baltar, you learn a little bit more about Baltar as he is basically spared from death by the Cylons if he will eventually kill the last humans and and capture them, but so he's attempting to capture them or, and or kill them all, but it, whether his motivations are quite there to actually succeed because it's going to be killed as soon as he kills the humans, that's always was always something I always went back and forth on. But I just saw this similarity and it's like, oh my God, <laughs> did Lee Badago watch this and just get influenced by this slightly, just like she may have been influenced by this Princess Bride, because we all read so many things over the in our lifetimes and then you get influenced by other things, other things you've written or watched, even if it's subconscious. So it was just yeah. I think a silly thing. No, I think it's silly, but it's valid. So I think it's definitely po possible that she got influenced by that scene. But I also think it's very obvious. Tara, am I allowed to just like drop a gigantic curse here? Am I, am I allowed to do that? Are we PG? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I, we're, we're, I, I, I have not rated us, but cursing is not really, I think the only things that are considered like you can't, you have to like rate yourselves as if you're like talking about like. Doing naughty stuff. Yeah. But, <laughs> but 
oh man, I ruined it. We're explicit now. Okay. Well, we talked about butts, you guys. All right. Well, I'm just I'm just gonna say it then. I think Vasily's just a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like full on. Like, I you know. I give him credit in the fact that instead of just moping, he did something because I will say I never expected him to try to make any political move in this book. I truly expected him to roll over and let Nikolai win or whine and throw a hissy fit until he won. I didn't expect him to try to make an alliance or do anything on the scale, try to win. I think a fucking course he ruined it. You fucking idiot. And I think Nikolai standing up and being like, are you serious? Was the perfect time to drop an F-bomb in the book. Like, come on, Lee, you could have done it. We would have all understood. I know it's young adults, but all young adults curse. It's fine. But, but, but yeah, I <laughs> honestly, I think that he had no malice in it. Because let's be fair, if he had malice in it, he would have been more careful about making sure he survived versus literally three seconds in. I think, I mean, I think there was malice in it, but his mal his malicious intent yeah. was only toward Nikolai. Yeah, his maliciousness That's... was towards like, I'm not going to let my little brother assert me. I'm just as good as you versus like a fuck the human race. The Darkling's going to murder us all. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and the, I did really like the, the the scene where he, you know, the fact, the whole thing where he died. It's like clearly Nikolai is his mom's favorite. Yeah, you know, but 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 she was also very very obviously upset about like what happened to like like what happened to Vasily like or however the hell you were supposed to. Be. I've been I've been always saying Vasily, but I don't think it matters. Like what what happened to him? Like she was also clearly upset about it. So like Nikolai was like her favorite, but like her favorite in like I, I don't know, he's the youngest. I think it was I think it was more like I don't think she ever really was like in love with his dad or anything like that. Cause like by the way, like we all know for like it's never it's never been proven, but we know like or at least yeah, it hadn't been proven, but like we know for a fact he's like a bastard. Like he doesn't look anything like anybody in his family. Like that boy's a bastard. It's 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 like rubber Baratheon all over again. Yeah. Uh, where like he doesn't have he doesn't have the wet lips and the weak chin. Yeah, but, handsome, you know? but is he the Darkling's child? That's the question. Ew, no. Oh no 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 <laughs> no. no no no. That's not even on the page. <laughs> but um, speaking of looks, can I take a bit of a detour now? Because I wanted to address what to me was the most like weirdest dichotomy in the book that I didn't notice the first time around, but it definitely struck out to me hardcore this time. Sure. Um, so I wanted to talk about like the fixation on like the not pretty men and just like, so, okay. I'm going to start this by saying I love Genya to pieces. Genya is the best. And you will continue to love her in book three. And like, oh my God, everything that happens to her, I I am so team Alina of not forgiving her, but I'm also so team of Genya didn't deserve this because Genya didn't deserve this. And she's also, you know, on the long list of people that the Darkling super manipulated. And she also has her own short story where you see the kindness of the Darkling extends to her. And that short story is really good. It's called The Tailor. <laughs> 
And um, it's at the end of this book. It's at the end of this book? Is yeah. It? I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, two. I can't remember when it was published, but I that sounds correct. But it's well, in my copy, it's at the end yeah. of this book. Yeah, it takes place between book one and book two. So it's basically Genya's POV for the first book and talking about, like, how she, like, betrays Alina and, like, why she does all of that. And, like, basically the whole thing is, like, the Darkling is so kind to her, and that's why she stays loyal to him. And I think, people, like, a lot of people pointed to that, and they were like, wow, look, the Darkling's capable of kindness. And I'm like, you fucking idiots. Like, you can manipulate so much more easier with kindness. This is just him manipulating her to a T. And it's also much more evidence that you can manipulate easier with kindness because the moment he unleashes his anger on her with, you know, what happens to her at the end of this book and then and then Nietzscheovia that he, like, just lets attack her, like, she comes back. Like, she comes to Alina, and it makes sense because he's no longer, like, that kind, safe figure to her. But that's not actually what I wanted to address. I wanted to address the book's fixation on how creepy and terrible the king is. Because, first of all, yes, the king is creepy and terrible, but they also seem to fixate on the reason that he's creepy and terrible is because he's ugly. Like, Mm. versus... He's a 40-year-old man preying on prettier and younger people. Older than that, but yeah. yeah. Um, in the first book, well, he- specifically describes him as being about 40-looking. And oh, okay. I'm going to pause you for a second because I want to finish this thought. And the reason I want to finish this thought is because it's very important. Because the king who is 40 is always portrayed as creepy for preying on Genya and on servant girls. because, And it seems the... But the Darkling is never portrayed that same way for preying on Alina when he's 120 years old. And the but that's because he looks 20. And the exactly the only difference is because the Darkling looks young and is hot, and the King isn't cute. The King is ugly, and that's literally I find it mind-bogglingly absurd, mind-bogglingly absurd that that continues so much in the book. Because literally the whole time she's like, the king's so creepy and I hate him. What he did to Genya, what he did to the girls. And I'm like, sweetie, can't you see that that's what the Darkling's doing to you? And that's what he did to Zoya? And like, Genya said she'd willingly like fuck him if the opportunity came. But like, don't you see how this is terrible? Because the man is 120 years old! Yeah, I mean, I... I, I just... Well, I get where you're coming from, but I... Well, yeah. Also, I was gonna say like it's also like a like a position of power it's a thing position with of the power, king. The Darkling holds what? the same, if not greater, power over the Grisha, and right. he takes that same advantage over the Grisha girls because it's heavily implied that he groomed Zoya before this. Yeah. It's heavily implied that his kindness towards people like this isn't the first time it's happened, and like obviously, he clearly is like very ready to sleep with Alina like the night after the ball, like. Yeah. No, like, no matter how how you slice it, it's Bill Clinton with Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, yeah, it's Bill Clinton, and we have ugly Bill Clinton and cute Bill Clinton. And ugly Bill Clinton doesn't get the pass, but cute Bill Clinton gets the pass. And I'm like, I don't know. They both fucked Monica Lewinsky. Like, maybe we should worry about Monica? <laughs> I mean... Also, I follow her on Twitter who, and gem. Legit treasure. A treasure. Yeah. You follow Monica Lewinsky on Twitter? Is that what I you just do. said? I do. I follow Monica yeah, she's Lewinsky big on Twitter. She's, big on Twitter. she's, she's amazing on Twitter. Wonderful. 
who, you know, does a lot of like advocating for like women in workplaces and like like sexual abuse and stuff like that, and like you know, yep. the world safe for women and speaking out about you know sexual situations and getting into situations that you shouldn't, but you're young and the other person had a lot more responsibility in and all of that sort of thing. Also, she's just generally hilarious and literally sits down and she's like, hey, guys, I fucked up. How you doing? <laughs> yep. and I'm like, oh, what a good beat. She's doing great. And I'm so happy for her. <laughs> That's my mom. Um, Did it think I'd oh, go So we've gone, into, we've gone into Vasily's betrayal and that led into this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> before we get into like, quotes and passages that I want to highlight. Uh, how about Alita trying to sacrifice herself? Um, I, and I honestly, like my, Classic. I was super punchy when I wrote this, like when I started this document. So my actual comment was, how about Alita trying to sacrifice herself like that? Wowzers. <laughs> I just want to, I, I was very punchy when I wrote that, but like, I, I jet lagged and, and exhausted and punchy. Um, but I mean, you know, she, I feel like she's like constantly like, I'm not a saint, I'm not a saint, but she just really, really, really wants to be a martyr. She real does. Like, yeah, there's somebody who's like so convinced she's not a martyr. She's like, let's just do it. Throw ourselves <laughs> into the pit. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she wants to. Well, and I, I get that she's trying to. Stop the darkling, but also it just seems a little bit excessive. Mm-hmm. case, she's not like great at critical thinking outside of her space, and honestly, her space is pretty much covered in shadow monsters. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can give her the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't so much martyrdom as as I need to do what I can to stop him, and if it kills me, so be it. At that mm-hmm. point in time, where they're being totally overrun and it's likely they're all going to die anyway. So I'm not so sure there's this. She thought about the the martyrdom aspect of it in that I want to be a martyr or I need to be a martyr rather than this is a desperate time and this is the only thing I can think of real fast and it might work and I might die, but I'm going to die anyway. So what the hell? Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just also am kind of done with that whole trope, especially when it comes to heroines and YA novels. I'm uh, also very sad about that trope when it comes to teenage heroes in YA novels. Yeah. Like, this whole time she's literally 17 years old. Like, a child should not have to sacrifice herself to save the world. And granted, the way that the book presents children, it sounds like children are like people younger than 15 because that's what the Grisha are. Like that's Mm -hmm. what the Grisha children are. And I did that math specifically using the character that shows up in Six of Crows who claimed to be one of the Grisha children during this arc. But like at the same time, I'm just like, I'm like, she baby, don't let baby do this. Keep baby safe. Why baby in war? Yeah, not not that children haven't been forced to fight wars and even even recently in Africa and things like that, but it, it definitely seems like at least in fiction it happens far more often in young adult books than it does in any other books. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get the wanting a relatable hero or heroine thing, but 
the thing I dislike the most about it is the fact that it's normalized in these books. Like, it's not like, oh, she's young and she's doing it and this is weird and exceptional and shouldn't happen. It's like, oh, she's young and she's doing this. But she was already in the army because that's what people do at this age. And that's normal. And I find that just generally, like, weird and not great. Because it's all well and good that there's, like, the Grisha children and they're just hanging out and being safe. But the Grisha children should be everybody under 18 because they're all the children. And, like, her screaming at Vasily, like, in that one scene about, like, you know, reducing the draft age. Like, obviously, yeah, like, don't don't reduce the draft age. That's absurd. But y'all are already drafting children. And the fact that you're, like, showing that in a book and making it sound normal is still not good. And I understand that this is supposed to be a war-torn country and they're really broken. But, like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, people, you know, assuming this is the Middle Ages or near Middle um, Ages. Or slightly later. I think it's supposed to be, like, 1700s. Like uh, no, I think it's later than that. I think it's, like, late 1800s, early 1900s. Like, I think, like, end of czarist Russia type of, of, of they don't have steam engines. And I they don't, but, like, I, I feel like there, there's, there's the absence of some, uh, there's the absence of some uh, technology, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I also feel like with, with, vastly dying with what happens at the end of this book where like you know the, all the good all the good guys are on the run and somebody else is taking over the throne you know i i i i feel it it's kind of, i think it's kind of a mix like like they're they don't have the technology of that era but i think that's kind of the era we're meant to believe it is yeah but also like keep in mind this isn't me like saying anything commenting on like the era or like you know this was historically a thing or like child soldiers still exist today i just like you know i wanted to bring up the point that this trope appears way too often of normalizing children taking part in you know life changing things and dangerous scenarios in ya books and i i think that's just so damaging and that they should you know I'm all for YA books with a, you know, a, a teenage, like, protagonist, because obviously that's what needs to, be, needs to be done. But it should also be, you know, this is weird and different and kids shouldn't have to save the world, you know, just like generally, because kids are literally, you know, Jen, Jen, whatever we're on now, the babies are literally standing up and saving our environment now. And like, they shouldn't have to do that. And even though that's real life, it's messed up, you know, and it's like, you know, this is just me being an idealist and being like problematic tropes. Fix that, please. Yeah, I, I think the the young adult saving the world. I'm trying to go back to what was the first young adult book where the the kid saved the world, and I, I sort of think Ender's Game, but Damn that wasn't even written. It wasn't written as a young adult book, so originally it, it, they just started marketing it that well, Year, I, years later they yeah, started no, no, marketing well, and, it as and, young adults and i think that's kind of that's kind of the point is that the, the idea of like young adult fiction didn't necessarily come about that long ago but that doesn't mean that that's like like you said the idea of a young adult or a bunch of young adults saving the world that existed like long before yeah, I mean, if you want to be real, like Frodo was a young adult in Hobbit years. <laughs> in Hobbit years, he's a baby. But yeah, but I, no, like my whole thing is that like I dislike the fact that like she starts off and she's already a soldier. I'm like, 
like I like I'm full on for like the book happening exactly as it did, except she's still at the orphanage or something as she discovers her powers because she's a kid and she shouldn't be a soldier yet. Still on for all of this story happening, but like all the Grisha children are actually in school, like kids. Well, to be fair, she's she's a map maker. It's Mal. Mal's a tracker. Of, like they're not. They're. I mean, they're soldiers in that they're in the army, but they're like they they're sort of like. They gave a baby a rifle. Mal is running around with a gun, and I'm like, you don't even know if you're done puberty yet. Like, like, <laughs> like put that gun down. Go talk to girls. Why don't do both? <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, her, her, her. I, I mean, it's like it's like I get I get that desperation of like trying to. Like this is the last thing I I can think of to do, so I'm gonna like I'm gonna kill myself to save this guy, and it's like, or to, to I mean, kill myself to save everybody else and, and kill this guy. But it's it's, I mean, I obviously it didn't happen, um, but it, it's it's very just to be honest, like it's a little bit self serving because she didn't actually know that she'd be able to kill him. So she was going to sacrifice herself knowing she might be mm -hmm. the only person who can stop him without knowing for sure that she could actually kill him. I don't know. It was it's yeah, very... say, like it was a like it was definitely a last ditch move. And also, I think from her point of view, she couldn't see a different movement, a different like out. out. Yeah, a different yeah. route. She couldn't see another way where she could fight him in an effective way and win. So this was her, oh, this can do it type of last ditch. And it just so happened that dying was the side effect. But she's like, you know what? This can do it. I have to do it. Um, yeah, so, I agree with Nami on that. Dying was mm -hmm. a side effect. <laughs> a side effect. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let, let's make pins with Alina's face on it, like with the white side effect. Actually, that 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 tracks that tracks that tracks hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had like a pin press or something to make oh that. All right, dying is the side effect. We're doing it. Um, okay, so moving on to uh, some quotes and passages that I wanted to talk about, um, and and we don't have to necessarily cover all of these, uh, but um, uh, when she's talking about Genya, you know, saying like when she sees Genya, obviously with the darkling, and and saying she spent all those hours like talking and laughing with Genya, drinking tea, trying on dresses. She was lying to her the whole time, uh, and and. You know, she points out the worst part is that the Darkling had been right. If she kept clinging to Mal in the memory of the love she had for him, she wouldn't have ever mastered her power. But Genya didn't know that. She just followed orders and, like, watched her, quote-unquote, friend's heartbreak. Um, and she says, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't friendship. And that was, like, really, like, I don't know, that's a little bit heartbreaking, like, like poor Alina, because she hadn't really had any friends other than Mal. You know what I mean? And and then the 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 girls who used her to try to get close to Mal, and like she had that one kid who was like sort of her bud when she was a map maker who died like immediately. I can't even remember his name. Alexi. Alexi. Okay. Uh, but like 
she's never she never really had anyone and she really thought Genya was like her friend and then it turned out Genya kind of like really screwed her over and that's like I, I mean the fact that the fact that she then doesn't let that define her is uh is really it's really good you know what I mean? Like, like it shows her, it shows, a, there's a lot of things I don't like about Alina, but I think it shows her strength of character that she doesn't, like, she's mad about it, but she doesn't let it define her or how she treats Genya at any point, really. But what options does Genya have? I mean, her options clearly aren't good. Just because oh. you have limited options does not excuse your behavior. Yes. Well, that's true. So let me go off for a second. Unless the gun is at your head, right? (laughs) Even then, you still have options. Um, So here's the thing thing that becomes really obvious in the tailor is that the gun wasn't at her head. The Darkling tells her, if you don't want to do this, you can go and I will keep you safe. Also, I just want to talk for a second. And this is like kind of a weird connection that I'm kind of making in the moment now. I've been watching documentaries on this cult, Nexium. Um, big true crime fam. Anyway, so there's this cult, Nexium. It's a sex cult. Allison Mack was implicated in it, who was on oh, Smallville. Oh, yeah, 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 I know about that. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. So, so <laughs> the head of this cult is basically influencing the next line down of cultists, who are all women, to recruit and um, and basically bring in women who will then ultimately give sexual content and often sexual uh, interaction to this guy who is the head of the cult, right? And so ultimately they get taken down and um, many of the people are, uh, are implicated in all of this, right? Not just the head guy, people who were reporting to him. Now, through the course of the documentaries, you under, start to understand the amount of manipulation, the out, amount of like risk that all of these people were in. They had to give up collateral to uh, even be members of these groups. And so they were at risk of exposure. Uh, and you can absolutely make convincing arguments like they were coerced. All of these things were happening. But at the end of the day, they were making decisions that then directly endangered other people. And yes, they had limited options. Yes, you can make arguments saying like, they're not as culpable as the person who was pulling all the strings, right? Like, Ginya's not as culpable as the Darkling is. But that doesn't mean that she is excused from her actions just because she was following orders or just because uh, she had limited options. At the end of the day, she still did things that are inexcusable, regardless of the motivations behind them. And I think, to me, as a person who has experienced a lot of coercion and manipulation in my life uh, that has deeply hurt me and impacted me, I can many times understand why somebody did something that that did that to me. Uh, and I can even to an extent forgive them some of those things because they weren't necessarily trying to deliberately then pass them on to me. 
but that doesn't change what happened to me. And that doesn't change my perception of the things that occurred. And so to an extent I can say, okay, Kenya, you know, she, she has her reasons for doing things, although, and I haven't read the, the short story, so I, I didn't know those things about uh, the relationship with the Darkling, but I also still feel like people have to be held accountable for their actions, and it is up to the person who experienced the negative side effects how they want to deal with that, because you can forgive somebody that doesn't mean you have to have them be a part of your life anymore. Yes. You can say, I yeah, understand absolutely. why you did that, but still fuck you. Yeah. And I think, so one thing that I do, or I want to, like, you know, sort of uh, explicitly say the, like, extent of what happened in the trailer. So, like, basically what you see is that this whole time, the way the Darkling is manipulating Genya is by providing her comfort, providing her a home, providing her that shoulder to cry on. He is truly manipulating her through kindness and he is taking advantage of her kindness and her like desire to help him and the whole time he's telling her he's like oh like if you can't do this it's really okay but it's one of those things that he's framed it in a way that it doesn't really feel like it's an option even though it is and you know it's it's some solid mind fuckery there but it you know doesn't excuse what like her choices and i think that's one of the reasons i love genya so much as a character because it's obvious that she's fucked up and she literally is wearing it on her face at the end of this book like it's not very often that you get such an explicit uh physical mark of your fucking up like that i wow i'm sorry i just dropped like the f-ball like 17 times in the last it's one fine. Minutes, it's fine. I, i've done it but trust me i did so? it last week i've done it before we all do it <laughs> yeah fine. but so like i really how fucking dare you <laughs> oh wait <laughs> 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 no, i really adore genya's character because of that and obviously I haven't started my reread of book three yet, but I genuinely can't remember if she tries to make excuses for herself or if she just apologizes. Because, you know, the one thing that I will say is you're right. Like, she did have the choice to, like, step away from this, even though it would have been damaging to her. And she literally eventually does. And I think that's why we're able to forgive her more, in a sense. Because it's not often that somebody betrays a person and then in the process of making it right is is like marked in such an obvious way of like well and 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 let's be real too she does absolutely let alina escape exactly in these books so like she 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 you know that's how she gets those scars that we read about at the end of the book so so she does Picks. She definitely has like like I I don't even know if I want to call it a redemption arc because I feel like what she did what like was also born from like the way she was manipulated by the Darkling and everything. Um, but at the same time, she does have like that redemption arc where she uh she's you know she lets Alina escape and she's punished for it. Like she clearly feels bad about what she did and and. Um, and also like, but also again, this is, this is very much, you gotta be so, so, so careful with this because like, I mean, then you could say like, 
the uh, SS was like manipulated by Hitler and shit. So no, I think it's one of those like it. If you're manipulated into making bad decisions, you still make those bad decisions. Like you're not excused for that. But I think Genya also does definitely put her foot down and pick the right option in the end. And she physically pays for it. Like she pays for it in a very visible way. And in a very visible way shows like her, you know, redemption for it. Obviously, you know, Alina's decision to forgive her actions around that, you know, doesn't, doesn't matter. And like, you know, Alina's still entitled to feel betrayed by Genya because like, absolutely, like your one friend betrayed you like that bites. But I will also say that, like, Alina specifically mentions in book one that she never really talks to Genya about Mal. She never, like, expresses to Genya, like, how important Mal is for her. And she specifically talks about this when Genya is talking about David and, like, her feelings for David. And they're giggling about it. And she thinks she's like, oh, I should tell her about Mal, but I can't. And I think... You know, obviously, this isn't to forgive Ganya or to give her an excuse, but I think once again, like, it's possible that she didn't realize, like, the depth of feeling that Alina had for Mal and, like, that depth of attachment. And perhaps if she had known that, she would have made a different decision. But for all she knew, they were BFFs and not, like, you know, long lost loves. Again, she was still wrong. She still betrayed her friend. But I think it's worth mentioning that Alina didn't speak to Genya about Mal, but was her friend in every other aspect. Again, this is not me erasing her fuck-ups. Genya definitely fucked up. Definitely betrayed <laughs> Alina. Also, like, just, God, Alina gets betrayed by so many people, and I just I just want to give her a hug and keep her safe. There's, there's what? There's, there's Genya, there's Strumhond on some level, there's the twins, there's Mal kissing Zoya, there's, yeah. you know, the fucking Darkling. Yeah, yeah. Just all well, of I mean, that kind of leads into the next thing. Uh, the next quote I had was um, Alina is, you know, thinking about the Darkling. And, and she says, like, I knew he was a practice liar. He could fake any emotion, play on any human failing. But I couldn't deny what I felt in Novi Zem or the truth of or the truth of what the Darkling had shown me, my own sadness, my own longing reflected back to me in his bleak gray eyes. Um, yeah. Darkling. Yeah, it's it's pukey, it's pukey, but it's also like, so this is this is one of those, those points in, in these books where I was just like, I was just like remembering like, being in like this abusive relationship where this person was like very clearly like playing on my emotions and what I wanted out of life. Um, you know, because I, I, I had, had, had a lot of trouble being like accepted, um, or, or understood by the people who, who were supposed to be closest to me. Um, and, 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 and therefore felt like separate, you know, from the people who were supposed to care about me the most. And, and that's a, like, I, I, I would never want to ask Lee Bardugo, like why she writes like this, because I feel like that's a deeply personal thing, but only somebody who has understood, I feel like only somebody who has understood that level of like, it's not just them being bad and manipulating you it's also you wanting 
to be understood and, and, and to be wanted and to have this person tell you, you are accepted for exactly what you are. And like, you're amazing, but like they, the things they think that are amazing about you are actually like sort of, I, I don't know, like weird, like, like, like not things that like, 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 I, I don't know. It, it's, it's really hard to explain, especially for me, like, cause I'm, I'm God, I don't know, almost six years removed from it now. So it's, it's difficult to, it's more difficult to remember now than it was when I first read these books. But that idea of, of like looking into somebody's eyes and, and, and feeling like they understand you. Um, and, and, and you, it like deep down, you know, it's like, I am not a shitty person. Like this person turns out to be such a shitty person. And I am not like that, but like you still, and, and maybe that is part of the manipulation on their part is, is that they, they know how to, they know what to say, you know, they know the, the expressions to make. And I think that's part of the, the darkling too. It's like, I think sometimes he does show, um, like the human side of himself. But most of the time I think it like, and, and, and Alina comes to this conclusion, you know, really in the first book that, that he is manipulating her through words, expressions, touches, et cetera. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm rambling, but no, you are, but it kind it's of, hard to make, it's hard to make a point. It's hard to make a point of this without saying more than I really want to. No, no, I, you, you rambled, but it made a lot of sense to me. Like in some way, I'm really grateful that when I read these books, when she had thoughts like these, that they were immediately obviously wrong to me. I'm really grateful that when I read this, that like, my immediate reaction to that passage is vomit in my mouth, obviously. no. <laughs> like, and I'm so happy that that's my reaction because like listening to you, like makes me realize how real this can be for people. And like how this is like really what it is like in the middle of these abusive relationships. And I think, you know, like you say, like, this isn't something that I would have been able to write. Like, thankfully I haven't experienced something like this and I wouldn't have this perspective. And I think it's really interesting to have this discussion about it because up until now, I've just been like, the darkling is obviously bad. What's wrong with people. But the fact that like, you can like see this and like understand like these dynamics of an abusive relationship, like it makes like so much more sense to me, like why people get taken in by him and like why like she's Well and I think like we like I still know he's bad. You know what I mean? For sure. (laughs) But 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 like I'm saying this as somebody who is looking back having experienced it and been like, whoa yeah, no, he's like obviously bad because like this is exactly what I like dealt with but I didn't realize it until after the fact with myself. Um, maybe that makes me an idiot. I don't know. Like, you know, it makes, it makes, it makes me a person who, you know, unfortunately, like I said, was, was looking for 
Um, and I, I, it's, it's weird because like at that time in my life, like I, I actually, I wasn't young, you know, I was, I was in my early thirties. Um, I had a lot of great things going for me. Um, mm -hmm. like I already had a really great group of friends, including, you know, friends from like, I said, Firecon and everything. Um, but when it came to relationships, I was kind of on the, you know, like, like I, I just, I, I, I was, I was looking for something and unfortunately, you know, there's just times where, I don't know, the, the wrong person comes into your life at the right time, you know, like. Absolutely. And I, one of the things that you were saying um, made me think of something, which is that I think people who, well, let's use the darkling as an example. Uh, one of the things that he is, I think, really good at is putting Alina up to like a funhouse mirror and complimenting her on the reflection. And there are things in the funhouse mirror that, you know, sometimes funhouse mirrors make you look all like skinny or whatever, you know, but like, yeah. There, there are things that Alina sees there that resonate for her as, oh, maybe I want to be like this. Or maybe this is some aspect of me that that is, at least I perceive to be important. And I think one of the things that abusers do really well is finding those things and really coaxing them out of you. And then making you believe that that is something that is important and intrinsic to you, even if it's all a distortion, right? It's all a distortion of, of what is actually important to you and what you actually want to be like or doing or whatever. And it isn't until you get past that and you're able to look in this analogy into a real mirror uh, and you're able to start appreciating the things that are actually really valuable and important about yourself. And you can look back and go, oh, this is why I was feeling that. And I think that's why I, if for anybody who's listening and couldn't actually see it, I was making like these pukey faces. It's because it does resonate for me. Uh, that idea that like, we as humans want to be loved and want to be appreciated. And sometimes that can get distorted to the point where you're like, I kind of know why I feel this way, but I don't like that I feel this way. And then it isn't, usually it isn't until after you get out of that situation that you can be like, Oh, I, I understand why I was feeling that, why I wanted that even in those times. That doesn't mean that it's a positive thing. Like you can still look back on it and go, oh God, I, I, I am sickened by this. And it's definitely one of those situations where the reason I feel sickened by the Darkling and how he interacts with Alina is because I've been on Alina's side of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think like all of us probably, well, maybe not 
popular geek Nami so much, but all of us <laughs> can all of us can kind of look back at a time. I, I mean, I know Jonathan and I have had this conversation more than once where we can look back at a time where we were like the geeky, like picked on kid and like you know, like I, I think it leads to a better understanding of, of these things. Disclaimer, I was the geeky picked on kid, but I also was an idiot and didn't realize I was being picked on. <laughs> I <laughs> as much trauma. It's because I didn't realize it until like 20 well, years. Well, and I, 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 and again, I like, I, and, and, and granted, like, I know, like, it, there's, there's an age difference between all of us, really, but like, Jonathan, again, like, I mean, you, you and I have had these conversations so many times about, about being like, now we kind of feel like we're like this, like royalty, you know what I mean? Like we have so many friends and everybody likes us. And it's so much, it's so much fun to be like, like in these like clicks in a way, but like, I, I don't know, you know? <laughs> no, I, um, I can say that while I have seemed to be remarkably adjusted as the Regina George of all geeks, I, <laughs> I too was, was definitely not popular or pretty when I was little. I was very awkward. I was very, I was wise. I've seen pictures of you. <laughs> I'm caring, you know? But no, I was, I was very bad at being, you know, confident and being me. It was, you know, baby me would see me now and be so proud. I like to think I've made her happy, but like, you know, it's definitely like, it's a commonality that we all share, even though like geeky things are way more mainstream and popular now. And that was definitely happening while I was at the end of high school and, and entering college. But it still was like, for background, I come from a very conservative, all white, middle, upper middle class Republican town. And I was going to be picked on regardless because I am brown and I don't have straight blonde hair. And I also um, brought smelly Indian food. Smelly. Ugh. Smelly. It's delicious. But I brought, you know, <laughs> smelly foreign food and I, you know, liked nerdy things and I was good at math, except I was also conveniently an idiot and I didn't realize I was being bullied until I made friends like, you know, middle of middle school and they were like, hey, those people are being mean to you. And I'm like, are they? Really? So. <laughs> So I, I'm still not sure why I was always bullied, but, you know, starting in middle school. But I suspect it had to do with the fact I wore clogs to the beach, um, the, the school beach trip. My stepfather, my stepfather was from Sweden. Everyone wore clogs. For a beach, they were perfect. You could throw them on, you could throw them off. It didn't matter if they got wet. Yeah. <laughs> Guys wearing clogs was not a thing. Clogs are the Swedish Crocs. <laughs> oh, oh, no. oh, no. I hate it. Well, okay. So moving on, uh, there, God, cause there's like a few other things I wanted to go into here, but we're kind of closing in on 930. I don't... Uh, uh, so, so um, when Alina goes back into the fold for the first time um, after she has obviously had her, or no, this is, when did this happen? Oh my God. This is pre, 
It was it was after her. Um, I don't know. It, whatever. It's 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 after. It's, it's she's with she's with Nikolai, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and she says like it's it's as if the fold was reaching out to her and welcoming her. It made no sense. She knows that it's a dead and empty place, not a living thing. Um, but it knows me. She thinks it knows me like calls to like, which is again, like the darkling, you know, that's his words in her head. Um, and, and obviously that's, you know, some of that is, is because of the connection that she has with him and everything, but everything that happens in the fold, uh, including, you know, the darkling appearing to her the way he does for the first time and, um, her, her feelings when they bomb the the nest of uh oh my god I'm not gonna be able to pronounce those Nishkaboya Nishkaboya so it's something like that no, it's the, um it's the blah 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 blah, blah. oh yeah I'm sorry Nishkaboya is like his his bad thing it's, so it's after she it's after she's you know, the bull the bulker it's after she's been bitten by his whatever the f they're called and I don't know why I'm He's <laughs> not swearing. But... Dark creatures. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Uh, so, so, um, but also, like, I, I, I kind of feel like, I, obviously, her being bitten by his creatures is why she is feeling that connection. But I feel like there's, there might be more to it than that. Like, I, like, I don't know. I, I could be wrong here, but the, the idea of her feeling that connection it, this is the, also the first time she has entered the fold since she discovered her powers so she knows that she is you know she she, she can prevent them coming close and everything but that no her, that's alina that's being alina does that doesn't necessarily mean she wants to hurt them i, I mean and and even if she had never been bitten i, I don't know like i it almost well, makes me wonder not just, true on some level, though, Tara. She came back into the fold with the Darkling, remember? At the end mm -hmm. of the Oh, God, I forgot about that. And so, so that's why I sort of thought it was a combination of the shackle, of the, um, of the collar and the bite that sort of pulled her connection closer to the Darkling. So I think the collar did it on some level, but she yeah. probably wasn't fully aware of it in that moment just because she was so consumed with, like, the fear of what's going to happen to her of you know mal like imminent death at the hands of the darkling like how she was going to get them out of it so i suspect that that connection was also possibly there at that point but the bite like truly made it like solidified and i think i don't know i i thought it was all just like a very natural way for her to think about it and feel about the Volcra after learning from Bagra that they used to be people. Yeah. And I think, you know, she presumably is the only person with that knowledge outside of Volcra, outside of Bagra and outside of the Darkling himself. So I think the fact that she hears them as people screams, like, isn't even, you know, might not even directly be related to that bite and that connection to the Darkling, but it might just be, like, a further manifestation of her empathy. And, you know, obviously, like, the bite may have had something to do with furthering that hallucination, but I think that it was, you know, brought on by the, by the fact that she was in the fold and finally able to think about that space without the overarching fear of the Darkling, like, just over her immediately. And then, like, her knee-jerk reaction is, 
holy shit, these were people. Yeah. And it just sort of manifesting in a very like, you know, physical way of, or a very ear, what is the word? Auditory way. Auditory way. That's the one. <laughs> also um, a very eerie way because it's eerie and it's in her ears. So I had another quote I was going to use for this, but I actually, despite the fact that it's from this book, I think I want to save it for that. Like now that I'm looking at it again, I think I want to save it for post uh, for, for, for um, ruin and rising, because I think that the idea of it uh, fits better with that book, but it's, it's about Meritzos. And, and I think that's something we need to talk about after, after the next, after we've all finished the next book. Um, so moving on, um, after Mal tells Alina that he told the, the Royals, the, the, you know, higher ups that he was hunting with all about her, that she served in the first army. She saved Nikolai's life. She hates herring. She loves plum cake, stuff about their childhood in the orphanage. Um, you know, she asked like why he would tell them that. And he says, I wanted to make you human. All they see when they look at you is the sun summoner. They see a threat, another powerful Grisha, like the darkling. I want them to see a daughter or a sister or a friend. I want them to see Alina. Um, and, and I, I, I like in, in a way I like where he went with this because it's like, he's humanizing her as a leader, you know, um, unlike Nikolai who is trying to, you know, he wants people to see her as the sun summoner, as a saint maybe. And, and then also as his wife and therefore the, eventually hopefully the queen in his eyes, um, you know, I, 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 I like, I like where Mel's coming from to a point, but uh, Nick had some thoughts on this that I also had kind of not, I, I, I just never put the notes in here, but I, yeah, go ahead, Nick, please. So I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that there's an aspect of it that is really good and important, but it also, it, there, there is language in there that is so much like what we say when we're trying to talk about why somebody who would otherwise not care about um, rape or abortion or other forms of abuse, trying to say, well, what if it was your wife? What if it was your daughter? What if it was your mother? What if it was your sister? What if it was these people that are directly connected to you? And needing some immediate direct sense of that in order to care about somebody else and their choices and what they need and want versus being able to say like, oh, that's your choice. That's what you need or want or that was your experience, I'm just going to trust you and believe in you. And there's something about that that just has always struck me the wrong way because of, well, simply because we shouldn't need to play make-believe of, well, if this was my daughter, I could think of this differently. We should be able to think of it as, this is a human being who experiences things the ways that other human beings do, like I do, and I can value and appreciate that even if 
that's not my personal experience. Yeah, I think that there's, there's, I mean, the thing is, there's, there's errors in the way like both Nikolai and Mal portray Alina. Um, and that's the problem. Like, why is it these yeah. two dudes who are the ones who are uh, directing how she is viewed by everybody else in this world and previously the Darkling? You know, it's, it, it's never her. She never is actually in at this to this up to this point she has never been in control of how she is viewed by anybody first it was the darkling portraying her as the sun summoner and like the opposite of him and like we together are going to save the fold and then it was oh shit i mean at some point it's the opera you know like like portraying her as a saint like straight up just a saint and possibly a dead like a martyred saint and then it's nikolai like this is the sun summoner and she is powerful and she could be the queen and then it's mal saying like but also she's just a girl like she has she has like almost no control over her own destiny i think i will say like the one place where i see her actually having control over how she presents herself is with the Grisha when she, you know, decides to make them all equal and she mm -hmm. decides, you know, it's going to be this way. And I think that's the one place where she really has influence and where people really see her for her. And I think that's kind of the most inspiring place too, because what you see at the end of the book is that the Grisha really do follow her and they really do believe in her and they literally crawl into weird apparat moldy tunnels with her <laughs> and like they literally defend the discs that david built for her like you mm -hmm. know and i think i think it kind of shows in a very powerful way how important and terrifying she can really be and like the loyalty that she can amass when she's allowed to speak for herself and when she's able to speak for herself. Because I think, you know, what she does with the Grisha and the alliances that she makes there and what she does there, bringing them all together and forcing them to cooperate and forcing them to see each other on equal footing. Like, obviously it was ham fisted, but like, you know, she does it and it works and they work together and they become friendly with each other. And you see that, you know, for lack of, better words i'm gonna go back to you know hogwarts houses you see that inner house unity you know and it's like it's kind of like the example of what alina can truly do when she's allowed to be alina and when she's allowed to present herself and make her own decisions and like that's really what she wants and you know a part of that was her being petty and screaming at zoya and being like oh like screw you i don't believe you like why are you here and like as much as petty and ridiculous, I'm also like, yeah, like standing up for yourself. I was like snaps for you, but also like I am a Zoya. Well, but also, why should she believe why Zoya is there? She exactly. had every right. right to question that. I was like, I'm none for Zoya yeah. Wiener. I, <laughs> you know, first off, call out that bitch who literally broke your ribs out of petty jealousy. Call out that bitch who like probably fucked your man at some point. 
and call out that bitch who like definitely was his who was who was your sworn enemy's favorite and seems to just be hanging out here for no reason like obviously i'm all about that low-key though um another trope that i hate is the girls fighting over fighting with each other because of the boys and all i want is for luna and zoya to be bffs and decide screw boys we love each other but we all know that's not gonna happen but a girl can dream can we can we please have can we please have a ya book starring a girl that does not involve her being nemeses with another girl because a boy that that's all i want that's all i want it's fine but yeah no i really i love that she you know was kind of unapologetically savage about it because zoya literally broke her ribs and like i i adore zoya she's my favorite y'all gonna do that <laughs> next week like i'm literally cosplaying her but like alina was right to come at her that way and she was right to be angry about it and mal being like oh she's just jealous i'm like mal sit down like you're you don't know what's happening with this girl drama like sit down sweetie don't put your neck there's so much there's so much more going on here than you mal i i just i really like mal being like it's okay she's jealous and i'm like mal sweetie mal oh no don't put your neck in here they're gonna both bite it off like and not in a cute way (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I'm really so you know I haven't read ahead I'm I'm two books in I'm really loving this series I would love to see a YA novel with a uh, a a young woman lead that doesn't involve things like uh, a love triangle doesn't involve a um, somebody who's just going to like offer to sacrifice themselves for everybody else um, where they actually own their identity and, um, and and they're the ones driving how they are perceived Mm -hmm. versus the, the sort of men around them doing that, you know, there, there are just so many echoes of some of these other YA novels but I also want to stress, I, I really do appreciate some of the ways that Alina is different and the ways that Alina uh, really does take ownership, kind of like what you were saying, Nami, like with the Grisha, with, you know, it is refreshing to see those aspects. Her punching and, Nikolai, and, her punching in. Yes. Chef's kiss. Perfection. Love, love, Perfection. love, love. Love. Yeah, I do. I do hate how or, she moves from like one love triangle to another love triangle. Yeah. But at least Nikolai is like worthy. Uh, yeah. I guess. Low key, let's have the love triangle where it, Nikolai stops politicianing at Mal. And, is this is this a love like them. triangle? Like is yeah. the dark? Yeah, I was gonna say it's a love yeah. square. No, yeah. It's, yeah. A love, it's a love triangle. It's a love square with Alina, Mal. Just- Zoya and then and then also Zoya. Oh yeah, because I forgot about the Mal Nikolai and um Alina and then Nikolai and Mal's previous bromance when they were pirates and the Darklings trying to be the fifth corner and I mean no, get out old. (laughs) I'll be I'll be completely honest. I and I might try to I don't know if we'll get actually like any responses, but I might try to put this up on a poll, like as a poll on our Twitter, like I'm actually curious about how many women, like young women in high school have been in love triangles because I have. 
More than once. <laughs> I was never in love triangles. I was just that person on the edge pining. And they were like, Nami, what are your emotions? And I'm like, I have died. I, I, yeah, I was in at least two, probably three, if I really want to think about That's it. So. Also, I was under yeah. strict no. Because no there was always, there was always like me dating somebody and then somebody else who was like on the side, like a dude friend who was like, yeah, but I like Tara too, which sounds really weird because yes, I was a total fucking nerd who got picked on all the time, but somehow dudes were just super into me. It happens. No, I. But did you get picked? You didn't get picked on by boys, though. Oh no, I totally got picked on by boys when I was in like middle school. Oh, you did. Okay. When I when I was in high school, like, and not right away in high school, but like like sophomore year in high school, it's it suddenly went from like Tara's being picked on to by and I. Well, I still have. I mean, honestly, I cut my hair. I cut. Bless you, Nami. I cut my hair short. I cut my hair short literally like the week before I started my senior year of high school and I walked into school and like some kids were like, what are you, a lesbian? And I was like, I mean, no, I'm not a lesbian, but would it matter if I was? Like, coming out as bisexual. Because I didn't, it's like, it's like, I didn't know what to say. It's like, no, I'm not a lesbian. Like clearly, like I've dated dudes. I am currently dating a dude, but like also like I don't want to lie. So like I I literally just said, no, I'm not a lesbian, but I I, I think I literally went like, but because they were like they were like freshmen or sophomore dudes or something, and I was just like. But then that 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 became like a thing. Like for like months, it was like Tara has short hair, so she's a lesbian. Because this was also in 1999, by the way. So like, uh, God forbid, a girl have short hair and 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 wear flannel. I don't know. Also, bullshit. That's the 90s. Every fucking girl wore flannel in the goddamn 90s. I, I hear you are trying to give boy children logic, which they just do not possess. Well, yeah, I was gonna say. Ken Boys picking on girls in middle school is pretty standard. And oh yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Trust me, it wasn't standard middle school picking on. But yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into. Unfortunately, the dark, I don't want to get into the dark things that happened. Okay, saying. you know what? I'm also, in middle school, boys who are listening, you should not pick on girls. That is don't not appropriate ever. Don't bully people. That's not. Yeah. Enough. What would your mom say? She would be disappointed, and so am I. Also, it doesn't matter what your mom would say. You should inherently feel like that is not something you want to do. Hmm. What's, why did I? Because that's the automatic good. response that we are taught to give. What would so and like, like exactly? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, listen, I'm not about trying to teach morality to middle school boys. So, like, <laughs> what would your mom say? And that's what's going to scare you into not being a good person. Like, fine, fine, we'll we'll take that step. Also, totally understandable. I was thinking to your list of things that I would like to see in a YA novel. Consider instead of a love triangle, a happy polycule. Consider instead of a love triangle, an asexual main character. Consider instead of a love triangle, um, um, 
an assassin character who just kills her love interest because I don't know plot. Yeah. Well, and 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 to I am be fair, for all of that. To be completely fair, I I feel I don't want to throw to Lee Bardugo under the bus here because no. these novels were published a while back, and I'm sorry, but not sorry. I am one of those people who believes that certain, not all, take care on. Uh, certain, not all <laughs> authors, writers, whatever can can um. They, they can grow and they can change and they can do better. Um, and I, I do believe that that Lee Bardugo is one of those authors who has already been doing that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, to be honest, I, I think, I mean, honestly, we see Nadia, Nadia and um, Tamar mm-hmm. are already clearly into each other in this book. So like, like it's like you already see that there is a, uh, but I'm guessing is a lesbian relationship. I mean, I don't, I, they, it's not stated explicitly that either one of them is a lesbian, but I feel like that's probably what it is. Um, but regardless of what it is, it is clearly a relationship between two women um, that is not questioned by anybody around them at all, at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I just, I really feel like I, I, I think that Lee Bardugo showed signs of of being somebody who I, I there are good things in these books and oh, yeah. and a lot of good things in these books and and in her future novels it just expands and grows and I think the show is also going to show some of that as well and I I just I I think that that's very very important because we I mean honestly I I today am not the same person I was even like I mean, I'm eight years ago. I won't even say, I could say, I think seven, six, seven years ago is when I really started like just becoming, I don't know. And I was in my fucking thirties. <laughs> I was in my thirties, yeah. you know, like, like people grow, they change and they need to be given that room to grow and change because education and experience and just the world and life as a whole should, you should be allowed that. You yeah. should. And I think yeah, you absolutely should. And, important to think about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we all have strong feelings about this. John, you go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, well, and I was going to say not novels and stories that have been written at certain times. And my favorite science fiction novel ever is The Forever War. And I just actually was reading an article by the author or an interview of the author who completely acknowledges, and I will agree with him, that his view of homosexuality in the 70s when he wrote the novel has clearly evolved, and it just doesn't... It, it's it's not a good look, as he will even admit. <laughs> but, but the of fact that he recognizes that is amazing. Hashtag growth. We love growth <laughs> in this house. And, yeah, I want to say, like, another thing that's, like, really obvious to me, like, you know, this book came out eight years, this series started coming out eight years ago. Like, there are things in YA that sells, and a part of that, you know, is love triangles, it's tropes, you know, and writing for that, those tropes as an author, like, it's 
a reasonable thing to do. Obviously, it's well and good to sit here and be like, oh, I want to see more of this. I want to see more of that, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, unless I'm going to sit down and write it myself and like, you know, take the steps to ensure it gets published and, you know, do the marketing to ensure it gets popular to, you know, make these things happen more like, you know, things are what they are because certain things are popular and you can't like get mad at an author for, you know, sticking with those popular things. And I would never do that, especially because like I had mentioned, like, you know, in our talks about like the first book and the reason I got into this series, a part of the reason I got into this series is because Six of Crows is so diverse. So, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but Six of Crows, it has, you know, six main characters. And in my mind, it has five because one of them is a garbage person and can be discarded. <laughs> but it includes a crippled man. It includes a brown girl who has been the victim of human trafficking. It includes a um, plus-sized woman who is, you know, fleeing witch hunters, essentially. It includes a gay man who also is dyslexic. And it includes a black bisexual man who is also um, has ADHD or some sort of like, you know, like high stimulation thing. It also includes, you know, that literal garbage person. But another thing that. <laughs> is oh, my God. Now I'm like, who's the garbage person? Don't tell me. No, I haven't I haven't read it in so long. Like I just I oh, just okay. I just picked up Six of Crows. I have not like I literally read this like oh, yeah. three years ago. I don't I yeah. don't have yeah. my memory, it's not that good. But one thing I will say yeah. is that it doesn't include like like it includes romances that are like, you know, not centered around love triangles. It includes, you know, a lot of things and a lot of diversity that you don't see in the first few books. And like one thing I will say, like, you know, one thing that really struck me in this book is the explicit lack of diversity almost. The only group that is like explicitly ever described as diverse is the people of Shuhan, and that is through the twins because mm -hmm. the twins are specifically described as having slanted eyes. And those are the mm -hmm. only people, and like obviously we know that Shuhan is based off of you know East Asian people, prominently mm -hmm. China, but all East Asian people, and you know the Virgins are obvious for for the Fjordans, Fjordans, like a fjord. European I will never be able to say this word, but people say the Ford people are. <laughs> The Ford people are clearly described as blonde and brawny men, and it's obvious that those are, like, Northern European. But with the exception of those two descriptions, like, even though they describe Paja, uh, like, the um, the material key, the second material key that ends up on Alina's council, even though they describe Paja as being Suli and saying, oh, she has dark hair and dark eyes, they never actually say, like, she has brown skin and, like, she's coded as, like, a Southeast Asian person, you know, and, like, that's not there. And all of this detail, you know, like, and, you know, they, they're literally in Novi Zem for, like, the first couple chapters, and they never describe that Novi Zem is a cult, is a, is a country of black people like like literally never said nothing about the descriptions of the people like they don't even say oh that woman with coily hair like literally nothing is coded yeah. to be racially not white with the exception of the twins and so i think the fact that 
Lee later goes on to write books with these obviously not white characters and makes it a point to make these characters not white and kind of, you know, retcons her world to be a world of color is really amazing. And it's a way that we see her growth. Another thing I will say is that, so I don't, I doubt if Nick and John saw this because this was in one of the earlier prints of the book. So Tara, you might've seen this, but you also probably might not have registered this as your original um, read was so long ago. But in the original like writing of this book, at one point when Nikolai is discussing his knowledge of like, of like how he learned like gun work from somebody from some um man from Nobi Zem. He's like, yeah, those crazy barbarians, they do this. And she took out that wording because once she coded Nobi oh. Zem as black, calling them barbarians was like real, real not good. So you yeah. know what you were exposed Oh to yeah, I don't line I, I mean... removed. And I only actually found out about that line because um of you know, the Grisha vs. Big Bang that I was in, there is a person in there who is, um, you know, a Black woman, and she is really vocal about, you know, talking about, you know, problems with race and representation in media that she loves, because, you know, it's mm-hmm. obvious that you can love a thing and still criticize it, which is, you know, big deal to me, because I love this, I criticize this, and I love Lee for her growth. And, you know, that's always going to be a constant for me. But, you know, this woman, she was the one who pointed this out to me originally. And she was like, yeah, like, this is why I don't like Nikolai because he has that line. And I and I only realized mm. this line was taken out in reprints. I was like, I don't remember that. Like, I feel like I would have remembered because, you know, I read this book after reading Six of Crows. So, you know, at this point, Nobi Zem was already black coded to me. And I would have been like, barbarians at the black people? Like, what? You know, and I remember not seeing that. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So seeing how Lee did this work to take out damaging things that she had written, like, I really respect that, you know? And I know some shitty fans like to be like, oh, it's pandering. Like, bullshit. Bullshit. It's not (laughs) You can grow as a person yes. and change your mind on what is appropriate to include and what is appropriate to not do. Lee has made amazing decisions to make this universe more inclusive and more visible and more friendly to people of color, to disabled people, to... And uh, also without... without um without retconning things which is really important yeah Yeah. and like you know i think it's so important that she has done that and like you know she's gone through to like explicitly make characters with ambiguous descriptions poc she has you know tv canon made alina shoe and i think that's awesome she's tv canon made mal some sort of mixed Suli, shoe, whatever. I don't what what is Arthur Renault's like background? I I don't know. He is he is pretty, he is adorable, he just would squish his little cheeks. And also his baby cheeks because he has a child already. Like what child has child? Unclear. But yeah, you know, like I love all the stuff that Lee has done. And like, god damn, are we here for growth? I'm here for growth. I love Lee Barthuso. Yeah, no, I, I, I really think that's, it's super, super fucking important to note mm-hmm. that she has 
grown as an author and not retcon things. Yeah. Like, this isn't like Dumbledore's yeah. gay all of a sudden. Yeah. This is. <laughs> yeah. And like, she's like. And then you have the like, chance to make Dumbledore actually gay and you don't. Yeah, do I know, right? Yeah. Like, she full on has all, like, also listens to fandom. Like, people have told her that, mm. like, people have been, you know, racist to people like in the fandom and she's been like hey like we're not a group that tolerates that that's not okay and i'm like that's awesome like like obviously it's like you know everybody decent should do that but the fact that she cares about her fans and especially her marginalized fans to like really stand up for people it just it's part of the reason that like you know jumping back into online fandom was exhausting and jumping back into an online fandom made up of so many children is exhausting as well, but I'm like, God damn, I'm here to stay. This is my new home because Lee Bardugo is wonderful. Yeah. I just want to say, like, <laughs> almost all media is going to be critiqued, right? Like, no media out there with maybe the except, like, maybe a few exceptions. I'll just say, I'll leave it ambiguous. Like, maybe there's a few exceptions where there are creators and media where it's flawless. But like most media, you're going to critique it and that's okay. Because if you can't critique your media and you can't sit, look at it and say, these are my issues with it and still appreciate it, then you're not gonna, you're like it would be so hard to appreciate any media, right? And it's something that I think both Tara and Nami talked about that I think is so important as Sebastian comes and hangs out with me. Uh, <laughs> He's going to lay down in a second. Yes. My <laughs> baby. Oh, so boy. Um, okay, I'm done. For anybody who's listening and not watching, uh, my dog, Sebastian, came and like hung out with me for a second. Anyway, uh, it's so important that we can grow as people, right? And we can realize we've made mistakes and say, you know what? That was really messed up. And I'm going to do better from now on. And I I firmly believe that there are multiple parts to an apology, any apology. And the first step is saying you're sorry. And the second step is basically saying, this is what I'm going to do better. Third step is actually doing better and owning that entire process, right? Like that's a, that's a true apology. And if J.K. Rowling came out tomorrow and said, you know what? I've really been thinking about this. Um, I really fucked up. And I was completely wrong. I had these perceptions because of things that, you know, my own experiences. But A, I'm wrong. B, I own that I'm wrong. C, here's what I'm going to do to try to work and be better at this and then following through and doing that, like I might be able to forgive her right now. I'm basically like, I'm done with you. And I don't know, like that's hard because I, Harry Potter was such an important part for me. Lee Bardugo on the other hand, like she is doing better. Like she literally as Nami talked about, as Tara talked about, like, She's out there doing the work. She's also making sure that in her fandom, it's clear we aren't tolerating this kind of behavior. This is not who we are as a fandom. Like, those are the reasons why I love Lee Bardugo. 
I love that we can sit here and we can spend an hour and a half every few weeks and talk about her books and we can talk about some of the problematic aspects of it. But at the end of the day, like we're doing that because we love her books. And that's what it boils down to. Like we wouldn't be spending this time on the books or on her if we didn't love them. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's such a big point, you know, honestly, like for those of you who don't know, I've just started a new job and I am literally constantly drained, but like literally the chance to come here and like hang out with my three friends and talk to them about a book series that I really care about written by an author who really cares about her books and about her fandom and about every single person that fandom, like it means so much. And it's so refreshing in, you know, because I know so many people are specifically experienced that experiencing that JK Rowling heartbreak, you know, because I grew up with Harry Potter. It like, it literally means the world to me. And I know so many people my age who grew up with Harry Potter and are trans or non-binary and they just feel that that love has been ripped away from them because of what shit Rowling has done. Like it's so important to have to know that she is not the rule that she really is the exception and that there are authors who really care about their fans and care about all their fans and care about doing right by them. And it, it makes me so happy. And it also, you know, makes me very happy that Lee wrote the darkling because, you know, now I have a place to put JK Rowling, which is next to the darkling in the garbage can where she belongs (laughs) until she takes back her turf ways, which honestly I doubt I'm not holding my breath for it. And, you know, even if she, even if she comes back one day and she's like, Hey, I was wrong, you know, back to Nick's points about Genya, like you don't have to forgive people. And like the harm she's done is it's, yep. it's not fixable for a lot of people because a lot of people are hurting. And, you know, if you're one of those people that are hurting because of what that bitch did, might I, might I give you the Grisha verse? Might I give you this little yes. piece of, of a comfort cake? And um, or or I will I will speak up and say Red Rising. Ooh, there wow. are there are act like actual like amazing trans characters in Red Rising. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from now on, instead of you know telling people what our Hogwarts houses are, we can pick our Grisha order and our Red Rising color. Uh, I for one am going. I am definitely a material key, specifically a fabricator, because, you know, uh, this bitch is about fabric. As far as red rising colors, I am genuinely not sure. Like, my knee-jerk reaction is, I want to say pink, because I love the color pink, but pink is also, like, like low-key the prostitute, so I don't want to be pink, you know? I don't, I don't want to be pink. <laughs> but also, like, it's sex workers pink. work, so... Yeah, no, yeah. sex yeah. work Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no but I, 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 I mean, knowing Nami, I will say, no, no, not a pink. Yeah. No, like, um... <laughs> Sex work is work. Yeah, not yeah. trying to say. <laughs> but this is this is more like um um they're forced into sex work because that is how they are born, and that's less less good. Sex work, it's not, it's not, it's not sex work is work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we'll we'll get into Red Rising eventually too, for sure. But yeah, okay, so we're we're um, closing in on two <laughs> hours now, so let's <laughs> wrap this up. Um, Jonathan, because you you had to bow out for a minute because you were having issues. Any last thoughts? No, I'm just enjoying the series, and uh, I I didn't love that it ended basically on a cliffhanger. I I'm 
against that in my novels. But it's uh, the second book in a three-part series. Yeah, come on. Yeah, but you can, it's yes, it's that's, how, it's that's how the middle book works. I understand yeah. that, but I, I have a personal preference that, yes, you have a series, but that each <laughs> novel can stand on its own and doesn't force you to read the next one if you don't so desire. It's just a preference of mine. Not that my favorite series, Ice and Fire, Song of Ice and Fire did that particularly well, but <laughs> <laughs> as far as leaving on cliffhangers, uh, but, but well, I mean, in, in general, read, that's what I, these, I prefer. You read these when they were all published, so at least you could just jump to the next one, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't mind cliffhangers if I can binge read or binge watch. You know, I never truly understood the Empire Strikes Back struggle you know, of like actually watching it and having to wait for Revenge of the Sith coming out. What was that like, John? Can you provide it? Like, <laughs> not, Reven- not Revenge of the Sith, Nami. Return oh, my God. Well, I- <laughs> so I, I can honestly... <laughs> Is that, a- that was some sort of like a... <laughs> the so when the Empire, the Empire Strikes Back was an interesting thing because um, we went as a, a... as Our science fiction club in school went together. Um, and we actually got out of school to go see it. Um, <laughs> the head of our science fiction club was the superintendent of schools and he took us on a field trip to see it. Uh, but amazing. we were cursing horribly at the end of that movie. <laughs> we're like, what? How? Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> the, but the bus ride back was uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> Also, I can't believe I just like revoked all of my geek credentials in one fell swoop. <laughs> we knew amazing. what you were saying. We knew what you were saying. It was like a Freudian slip, God. though. It was such a Freudian <laughs> slip, too, because, you know, Revenge of the Fifth is the movie that I waited for. Because, like, yeah. I was like, it was oh, Return of the Jedi, is what you would really want. Return of the Jedi. Oh, well. It's. it's Listen, Nami, right. just to bring it all home, as I said at the beginning of this episode, we love your mouth noises. Oh, thank you. I love <laughs> All right. Well, any last thoughts before I close this out, guys? We good? No. All right. So one. we will be back in one week. Shockingly. Holy for, shit. Yeah, I know. You got one week. You got one week to read. <laughs> Ruin and Rising. You can do it, Nick. You can do it. I can I- do it. I believe, I, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll be back in a week to talk about Ruin and Rising. And then after that, we'll have a break. But also, you should probably start reading Six of Crows or listening to it again immediately after this. Luckily, I have already read Six of Crows. Yes, you so have. You have. You have. So maybe you I'm should good just. On that end. Oh, so you are ahead. You did read ahead. <laughs> well, sort of. I, I didn't read it. Six of Crows was the first book that I read. But he hasn't I haven't read, read anything in the Grisha original trilogy. So now I'm going back and reading the Grisha trilogy. And they're connected, but they're not like, you're not going from uh, the third book into Six of Crows. Like, that's not how the yeah. continuity works. Basically, and, and thankfully, we're not, read, we're not doing Cricket Kingdom till the first of first couple weeks of January. So yeah. See, I'm good. Basically, John, <laughs> there's about a two-year gap between them, yeah. and one of the main characters in Six of Crows is all about the saints, and she loves Saint Alina. Got it. Um, but yeah, so, so 
so yeah, we'll be back next week for uh, Rune and Rising, and then we might have one more like episode before, or we will have Six of Crows, uh, parts one and two, before the end of this year. So actually, you only really have to do part one, two weeks after that, but you know. All right. Yeah. So uh, thank you, anybody who uh, watches this uh, post and listens to it as a podcast. This has been a really long episode, but we did cover an entire book. Um, so thank you, guys, and y'all have a lovely night. Night. Night, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Instagram or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.